Welcome to the Second Success Podcast by Dr. Rakesh Rana, the Clear Coach. Getting clear on the mindset for repeatable success. Hello and welcome to the Second Success Podcast with me, Dr. Rakesh Rana, the Clear Coach. Today I have Dr. Chen Zhu, a very good friend of mine on the show, and she's going to be talking about her journey from becoming a medical doctor into the world of entrepreneurship. So really looking forward for you guys to listen to that. Some great insights from her entrepreneurial mind, and you'll get to hear about the challenges she had when she first moved from China to the UK. But first of all, Easter. I hope you all had a good Easter break. Um, I didn't partake of the usual chocolate that I would normally have done. I'm still on my little health kick, but a little nibble from my kids' chocolates was uh, uh, too much of a temptation, so I had a very tiny amount. And uh, yeah, in terms of my health journey, it's going quite well. The weight is dropping, the strength is increasing, uh, clothes are starting to fit again. That's the most important thing. So I don't need to go out looking for a new wardrobe. So so as lockdown eases and we're allowed out and about, I'll not be worried that I can't fit into them anymore. So uh, all happy there. I did use the Easter period to uh, focus a little bit more on my own business, though. Um, not as much in terms of coaching my clients or reaching out to people, but in terms of marketing. Uh, so just looking at what I'm going to be doing next um, in regards to social media, possibility of a newsletter, uh, and what other options there might be to expand and grow uh, in terms of my own coaching practice. And what I get, I guess, is through reading a lot, uh, read a couple of books by Donald Miller, which I found very fascinating on the whole idea of branding and marketing, and also speaking to my entrepreneurial friends. I mean, I've been interviewing some amazing people on this podcast, and do remember, if you're not subscribed or following, uh, please do, and if you do enjoy it, please do share it out. Um, so, like I said, some amazing guests that I've been speaking to. So, you know, picking their brains uh, to get an understanding of how best to market myself, uh, to get myself out there a little bit more and for my voice to be heard. So uh, interesting insights. Hopefully I'll be putting them into practice and uh, measuring the outcomes and let's see what happens. And one of the key takeaways in terms of the marketing, I guess, is to make it all about your ideal client. I mean, the one thing that I, I guess struggled with was uh, my marketing, my website was always a little bit too focused on me and how uh, great in inverted commas I am. But really, uh, the focus needs to be on my clients. So my communications, the marketing tends to now be more about my ideal clients and how I can help them. So I guess to anybody out there looking to market their products or services, make sure that you have your ideal customer, ideal client in mind and put yourself in their shoes and come at your products and service and see, is it working for them? Is your ideal client really going to look at what you're offering and see it ideal for them? So make sure that you get that right. And so on to today's guest, as I mentioned, it's Dr. Chen Zhu. Chen's a very good friend of mine and she's got 12 years of experience as a medical doctor and she's been specialising in facial aesthetics and skin rejuvenation since 2012. Her practice has evolved from simple injectable and aesthetic treatments to encompass a more holistic medical approach to skin health and prevention of premature skin ageing. So not only does Chen have a thriving aesthetics practice, uh, she's also a leading authority and well-respected mentor in the industry. And she's also a practicing hospital doctor in A&E. So we'll get to hear a bit more about that too. It's the combination of these two seemingly unrelated specialties that has crystallized her belief that looking good is more than just skin deep. So let's hear from Chen on her personal and professional journey. Hello, Chen, and welcome to the Second Success Podcast. Hi, Rakesh. Thank you for having me. 
You know, no, honestly, it's um, again, it's um, having known you for some time and you know, seen some of your journey as well. It's a, an actual pleasure and pri- privilege to have you on um, to talk about what it is that you've achieved in life and what it is, you know, your, your new phase, really, and what you've been doing. And um, as I introduced you, I mentioned that, you know, you started, uh, you know, you've done medicine. You're a doctor, essentially. That's how I've introduced you. So let's start there. What got you into medicine? That's a, that's an interesting question. Uh, so I I, uh, I was actually born, born in China and I came to the UK when I was ten. Okay. Um, and uh, growing up in China, you know, my my family they they weren't rich. My dad's side of the family they were all farmers. You know, they, my dad literally had to work really hard to get himself out of farming, to get himself to university, and then eventually come over to the UK. Um, so I was always brought up with this, uh, this kind of work ethic, you know, if you work hard, you can do anything, you can get yourself out of poverty, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's that work ethic that's kind of remained um, in me. And that's sort of what I carry through everything that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, why did I decide to go into medicine? Well, my, my parents are actually very medical. My mum was a gynecology and obstetrician doctor in yeah. China. Um, then when she came over to the UK because of language problems, she couldn't continue working um, as a doctor. But my dad was uh, my dad had a medical degree in China and he then he went into research. Okay. So he came over to the UK to continue his um, biomedical research. So I was always very exposed to the medical side of things and science. Mm-hmm. And I was always interested in those things. Um, and I guess that combined with. Um, this kind of idea of um, okay I need to do something that will give me financial stability Uh, and I knew being a a doctor I will always have a job Um, Mm -hmm. that definitely was something that I was thinking about even at the age of 16 just because you know I've kind of been through I knew what it was like when you don't have much money Um, Mm -hmm. so financial security was a big thing Um, so it was really that in combination with what I was interested in kind of led me down the the medical path and then it was just a case of um kind of slowly discovering that I, I really loved it so yeah. you know I, and people you know people have this idea of um you know you, you should do what you love but I think a big part of what make people happy the secret really is loving what you do and you don't necessarily love what you do initially but there are always things about every job that you can learn to love and um and also just kind of discovering that I've really, I was a people person. And I really loved interacting with people. Um, I was very interested in, in, in psychology. So I, you know, I was always very good at lis- listening to people. So mm-hmm. that was very, very helpful for me in this role of a doctor. So I, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. And that was definitely the right thing for me to do. It's interesting you talked about, you know, following your passions. I mean, there's this, there's this big drive for people to, especially, you know, what everybody went through last year to, you know, to follow your passions, you know, why do you have to work to live as such and just do what you go and enjoy? And actually it's people come to me sometimes because they don't, they haven't discovered their passion. They don't know what to do. You know, they could be in work or they could be looking to start a company and they haven't discovered their passion yet. And, and it's so true. Sometimes it's discovering the passion within something that you're already doing. And that's probably something I didn't realize at the time when I was in my corporate career. Um, I was always unhappy or feeling unfulfilled. But I think if I was given the right mentorship or the right direction at the time, I may well still have been in corporate. I may not have gone out and set myself onto that path of discovery, let's say. 
don't get me wrong, mm. in hindsight, I'm not looking back and thinking, uh, I wish I'd done things differently. I, uh, I love the fact that I'm a coach now. But I think at the time, if it had been impressed upon me that actually your passion can be found anywhere, it doesn't mean that you have to go looking for it elsewhere. Uh, it's so important. It really is. So, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. It's a shame that this um, sort of realisation doesn't come to more people sooner because I, I think it's such a shame that so many people have left jobs that they would have been fantastic at and would have really enjoyed if they had the right direction. Do you, um, well, I, I'm blaming social media for it. I don't know about you. I think I, it's, we're always looking over the fence. We're always looking at the grass being greener on the other side, essentially. And, you know, I'm not sure how prevalent it was with people jumping jobs or jumping direction as much maybe a generation or two ago but very much more so now, but that's only because of, we have so much more access to what other people are perceived to be doing. Not necessarily what they might be actually successful at. It's just, you know, the, the world is being painted as so diverse. I mean, it is a diverse world, but the fact that we've got access and that windows and those opportunities to it, it's not allowing people the time to really cement their learning. I mean, look, you've done medicine, you had to do it for a number of years. And even then there was still learning going on afterwards. It's not something that you achieve within a year or two years, but I think that's what people are looking for now. People are always looking for quick fixes. I mean, just look around you with weight loss. Everyone's looking for the latest crash diet. Um, and, you know, now that I also do facial aesthetics alongside medicine, you know, in aesthetics, people are looking for quick results. They don't, they, they, they don't care about looking after their skin day to day and they just want to pay hundreds of pounds for a treatment to get that instant result and then they expect it to last longer than a few months it's just not realistic and I think you're right social media has a, a big big part to play in this um, and I don't know I think it's just also lack of the right mentors for people. Um, I mean, social media is a tool, isn't it? I think you can't really blame social media as such. Um, it's really the problem with the people on social media and sending out the wrong messages. And actually, you know, if you if we can use social media um, in a better way and send out the right messages um, and try to and really try to kind of inspire people, then it's a powerful tool. Of course, of course. I always say that IT is a, a technology is an enabler and it is a tool and to be used effectively. That's what we've got to look at. So, OK, I, I want to go back to, you know, you said you came to the UK when you were 10 years old. Um, is that was that too young for you to remember maybe some of the challenges that you had when you first moved over? Or was it literally one day you're in China, one day you're in the UK and just life's, this, you know, it, it's just something you just get on with? No, I remember it very clearly. Um, when I first came over to the UK, I didn't speak any English at all. Wow. Uh, I remember in China, you know, I had a few English lessons and you learned the simple words cat, dog. Forgot all of that when I came to the UK. Um, <laughs> so I had to learn, learn English from scratch and, and that was a challenge. Um, after being in the UK for about two weeks or so, I started school. I joined year six, halfway through year six. So, you know, I just about got over my jet lag um, and then starting school um, and have to be in this environment where I didn't understand anything for quite a while. That was uh, it was quite scary, you know, and I was um, living in Leicester at the time. Okay. So 
there was the local population was all very much um the local school was i, I was the only chinese um, okay kid in the class most of them were from sort of indian pakistani backgrounds okay. maybe there were two white kids in the class mm-hmm. um and because i was the only chinese one you know people were curious and i think the other kids were initially coming up to me and then and talk, trying to talk to me i couldn't understand what they're saying so i wasn't really talking back um and i remember that novelty factor kind of wore off quite quickly for them and after a few weeks they started to some of them were started to be a little bit nasty and think just a little, little bit of bullying and, and things. And they were probably saying things about me that i couldn't understand um you know laughing at me and stuff um but I think it was easy because I couldn't understand what they're saying. So I just mm-hmm. ignore them. Um, and uh, and gradually, and actually the school was pretty good. They found me a um, this Malaysian lady to teach me English. Because okay. um, she spoke a bit of Chinese and then she used to try to, you know, see me, was it once a week or twice a week? And mm-hmm. used to try to teach English. Uh, my, uh, tu- my form tutor also tried to pull me aside and just like tried to teach me vocabulary and stuff like that so they were generally very supportive um but i found the most challenging time was actually as a teenager because uh, i was in leicester for a year then we moved to hertfordshire um and i joined a new school in year uh, i think year eight okay um and really so between the time time of year eight and sort of halfway through year nine that year was the hardest um because at that school um no actually sorry that that wasn't the hardest so so I was sorry I moved around quite a bit I'm trying to remember the timeline now um but I moved to Hertfordshire I think before I started year seven um, okay. and then I was there for a couple of years then we moved to Bristol um, okay. wow. when okay. I joined year nine in Bristol and that was where we eventually kind of settled um, so the hardest time came actually when after I moved to Bristol, I started year nine in the new school. Okay. All the friendship groups were already set. So I was. So that's put- uh, just just for non-UK people uh, listening. That might be the age of 14, I guess. Year nine, I think. So year seven, I was 11 in year seven. So year about 13, 13 14. 14. Okay. Yeah, so around that age, you know, new school, I didn't know anyone. The teacher mm-hmm. put me with this group of kids who were kind of the, the sort of slightly popular group in the okay. class. And I was this new kid, again, the only Chinese kid in the class, um, one of two Chinese kids in the whole school. Um, you know, so there was that initial novelty factor mm-hmm. they showed me around school. So by that time, I was able to um, understand English and speak a bit, but still I was quite reserved, you know, I was quite yeah. self-conscious about didn't want to say the wrong thing use the wrong words and be laughed at and that kind of thing mm-hmm. so I was quite quiet um and then again the when the novelty wore off then the kids started to be a uh, you know a little bit can be a bit nasty and there was yeah. a little bit of bullying going on um you know I, I remember there were times when um they were supposed to show me around and take me to between classes we had to move between class uh, to different classrooms and they used to just leave without me and I had to kind of figure out trying to find my way on my own um you know in classes I no one would sit next to me um I was in one one lesson they this one of the girls wrote quite a nasty comment on a piece of paper and passed it mm. around the whole class um and it was obvious it was clearly about me yeah um and right uh, you know Chen was da, 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 please mm-hmm. comment 
passed it around the whole class and then some people actually commented on this piece of paper and then mm. at the end it gave that piece of paper to me uh you know it's it's that's terrible it's horrible of course it is it's uh, kids can be so you know nasty i mean you know having a younger you know younger young kids myself and this is one thing i've always impressed upon them is bullying nature it's uh, something that you know you got to look out for people and and that's one thing i've always impressed upon them is that you know if you find yourself in a position of privilege or in a position where you're able to help make sure you help and not put anybody down or bully it's i guess that built up your resilience quite a bit going getting through that yes um, I think resilience, um, you know, now I know what resilience meant. Um, I think at the time, I'm actually looking back, I was quite surprised at how resilient I really was at that young age. Um, and I've been trying to think where it came from and possibly, um, possibly it's from, I mean, it, I think it's partly a personality trait that maybe was always um, inside of me, but also you know my parents have always worked hard and when I was younger I didn't see my dad very much he was always out training uh, you know on, on training courses and things um, so I didn't really spend a lot of time with my dad I was spent a lot of time with various relatives in all my summer holidays I used to stay with my dad's side of the family um, in the in the village I used to help them you know go um, do okay. stuff on the farm pick potatoes <laughs> uh, you know dig carrots that kind of thing it was actually quite fun as a kid um, but I think because I was most of the time, I felt like I was a guest in someone's family. Like I really had to learn to, I guess, control my emotions. And actually, I see how other families are. And they were so welcoming. You know, they treated me so well, like I was a member of the family. Well, I, I am like extended family. But you know what I mean? They treated me better than their own kids. And also I was amongst all my cousins, I was the only girl. So I kind of was a bit spoiled anyway. Okay. Um, and I, I think just having that really, um, that, that loving family um, to grow up within that has probably made me quite strong emotionally. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think people were being mean to me. I kind of just knew deep inside it, it wasn't me. Yeah it was them it wasn't me so I it didn't make me feel bad I was a bit sad at the time but I just thought you know I feel sorry for them and it's so important you know you talk about your situation there but as we grow older and you know we we are faced with life's challenges it's so important to have a support structure in place of some sort whether that's your family friends uh, work environments even to have that support in place is something that we can leverage sometimes it's not that we do it intentionally but knowing that there's there somebody there to have our back is so important to help us keep moving forward so no it's good to understand that and you know it's awful to hear that you also had to go through that but um knowing you now knowing how strong a person you are you know i can only say it's molded you into the kind of person you are today well absolutely i think everything that has happened to me in the past has led me to this point and if anything was different then i wouldn't be exactly here right now so um, you know, I've never been one to look back and say, oh, I wish that didn't happen. I wish that didn't happen. There was, there's always a reason for everything. And, and you know, often it's, it's not what happens to you. Mm. It's your reaction of yeah. what happens to you that will mm. ultimately determine where you end up. Um, and, I, you know, I, I'm not a formally trained psychiatrist or psychologist or counsellor or anything, mm -hmm. but I've always been interested. I've read lots of books about it. And I think all that sort of self-help has definitely 
yep. helped me massively as well. Um, and the support network that you mentioned, you know, I, I think this, for many people, there's, I was very, I consider myself to be very lucky um, and I try not to take it for granted. I have had a very supportive upbringing, um, but also that can only get you so far, you know, mm -hmm. as you go through life, become independent, you then have to go out and build your own support network. Um, so I think for those people who are not so lucky to have that existing support network, it's not the end of the world because you then what happens to them from hit this point onwards is up to them. Yes. And actually they can, they have every, they have every power mm. to start making a positive impact and start building their own network. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, it's a process. It's not a quick fix, Exactly. but it's so worth no, exactly. Uh, you know, and talking of support networks and networks in general, uh, that's how we met. We, you know, it, it was when um, it was via networking. Actually, I think the first time we ever met, well, I think we were at a, a gala dinner. Uh, and then after that, some networking. And but it was also at a time in your life where actually you, you'd been doing the medicine for a number of years. You know, you doctor, you've been worked in emergency medicine, but you'd actually now had set on your entrepreneurial path. So, you know, you've had your success growing up, education, become a doctor, worked in the medical field, but now you want to do something different, but related. So let's bring us up to that. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting story. And I, I've actually told this story so many times because I've, you know, I've come across so many doctors who have just got to that point where they're just like, you know, I've just had enough of, of this, um, not necessarily medicine, but I just they've just had enough of being in this system, um, the training pathway, how ruthless it could be, um, the you know how restricted um, it is, and the working hours and night shifts mm -hmm. and everything. And they just come to me that they're, they're like, I, you know, I really I'm looking for a way out. Tell me more about aesthetics. How did you get into it? Mm -hmm. um, so I've actually told this story so many times. Um, but essentially, you know, like I said before, I, I really loved medicine. I really mm -hmm. enjoyed it. I was good at my job. Um, I initially really wanted to do surgery, had my mindset on it. Um, I didn't get into the training program straight away. But then the second year when I tried the second time, I got in and I got into London, which was actually quite, quite an achievement. Mm -hmm. um, so I was really happy that I got in. That was what brought me to London in 2011. Um, really happy that I got in and then, you know, the honeymoon period kind of lasted about a month or so. Then I realized, okay, now I'm a surgical trainee, right? Um, right. Um, you know, how, how, do, where do I go from here? And then speaking to a lot of the surgeons around me, I just realized that a lot of them were really miserable. Uh, they were not happy, even though they had got their dream job, dream career, they weren't happy you know they didn't have they didn't have the success in their personal lives they were either um you know either men who never never got to see their wives and children or some of them divorced or a lot of females um have got kids at home who they never get to see um or the ones who are working part-time they mm. on the surface looks like they're having it all you know they they are get to spend some time with the kids some time at work but at work they get treated like part-timers by their male colleagues yeah. and they get referred to as part-timers you okay. know inverted commas yeah, yeah. And, uh, and i just thought this is not what i want to do this is mm -hmm. not where i want to be and also mm -hmm. i've had comments from people saying oh you're too nice to be a surgeon okay. <laughs> because if you're not ruthless enough you can't progress and you know you can't get ahead yeah 
so um and so all of that i just thought you know what surgery is not the career for me long term so then i started looking for alternative things that i could do um and i sort of accidentally stumbled upon uh, facial aesthetics it was botox and fillers i thought well actually this quite a you know it's a procedure it's related to surgery I was good at procedures I enjoy doing it I thought this would be something that I was good at so I just booked the course um, and I handed in my resignation for for my surgical training um, I mean it wasn't an easy decision to make yeah. but uh, you know eventually I decided I resigned and I was just so relieved you know um, because so many people are scared of quitting something that they've worked so hard to get and they, they're scared of and then they're worried about well you know this is such a good opportunity so many people want it and can't get it and you know there I am I'm here but I, I want to quit and they just feel bad but there's no reason to feel bad at all because if you don't do the right thing for you you won't be happy and then what about all the opportunities other opportunities out there that you're missing well that re resonates with me completely I mean having spent so many years at university to get my PhD to the to the next day just not wanting to do science at all and moving into a field of IT and investment banking to then spend 20 years doing that and now doing life coaching yeah. I've had questions in fact it's I've always been assured of myself of what I've wanted to do it's those yeah. around me that have always questioned me and challenged me why are you doing this all this time all that wasted time or effort or money but to me I'm like well no I've got to do what's making me happy and I've got to go with my gut feel so yeah I, I resonate with that completely and the thing is, nothing you do is ever wasted. You know, right now I'm using all my skills because uh, so I've done um, been in facial aesthetics since 2012. Um, and initially, so after I quit surgical training, I um, got a job in A&E, then decided I really love A&E. Mm -hmm. So I did I worked at A&E part time and was building my aesthetics business part time. Um, and then I uh, also ha had my daughter. So that was all good timing. Um, and then I decided that I really wanted to um, to apply for A&E training um, mm -hmm. because I could do that part time now that I had a, a child and it's much easier to do part time, it's more flexible. Okay. So that's what I did. Um, got into A&E training in uh, 2014 and then, you know, aesthetics still kind of continued around everything else. Um, but then in 2016, I was about to have my son about to go into my second maternity leave um, and uh and I had some had this opportunity in in my aesthetics business to really kind of focus on that. So that was when I really seriously thought, you know, I think this is the right time to just mm -hmm. go full time in aesthetics. Um, so I would say from 2017, I started focusing full time on aesthetics. But part of that was actually during my second maternity leave. Okay. So I, you know, I wasn't working in A&E. You know, I was actually I was getting the maternity pay and I was able to prepare and work on my business um, during that time. So that was actually quite a good transition period. Um, and actually after I got into teaching within aesthetics, I, so I became an aesthetic trainer. Um, so with that, as a, as a kind of more of a regular job and bringing a regular income, as well as my aesthetics business, I felt at that point I could leave A&E. And actually yeah. what I did was I took one year career break from my training. Okay. Um, still, you know, busy. I, I think some, some people have this idea that as an entrepreneur, you've got to take risks, you know, you've got to jump off the cliff and figure out how to build a plane on the way down. But it's not completely like that. 
I mean, yes, you do take risks, but you, you have to take calculated risks um, because if you just jump off the cliff with nothing, you're going to die. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I took a calculated risk and I thought, okay, now is the right time to um, leave any training because I, I just don't have time for that, actually. <laughs> um, so, 26, so 2017, so 2017, then 2018, I formally resigned from a and after a years of career break and realizing that astrophysics was um, building up um yeah and, and then it's you know i was out of medicine for about three years um and actually towards the end of 2019 i just after speaking to a few um, friends who were still in the nhs working a and &E, and i actually I, I just mentioned to someone oh i actually really miss a &E, really mm. miss medicine and he is one of the, he's someone that I used to work with um, when I was working at a and he's now a consultant okay. in a, working in a lot of hospitals where I live. And when I mentioned that I was quite interested that, that I missed it, he was like, come, come to work, <laughs> come to work in, in a hospital, you know, it's near where you live. Um, so he sort of planted that seed in my, yeah. in my head. Uh, and then I thought about it and I was like, why not? It's actually a mm. good, good thing for me to get back into. I don't want to lose my skills. I yeah. did enjoy it. And now actually going back and I, and I went back to a &E actually in February of 2020, literally at the beginning of the pandemic. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Perfect timing. You know, it's and you, it's almost like you came full circle. So you've still got the entrepreneurial on, you've got your clinic, you're doing your skin aesthetics and yet you're still doing what you love as well and gone back to it. Yeah. So I have a, a portfolio career as, as they call it now <laughs> in um, which they normally associate um, GPs with. Yeah. Uh, GPs tend to have these portfolio careers. But, you know, I, I really do think that there is no, there's no perfect career path waiting for you to, to go down. Like you really have to create it as you go along, as you go through life. So important. So important. It's so true. We can we can aspire to look at people that have achieved success and try to emulate it, but we'll never will never be the same. And everybody's on their own path. And this is something that I try and impress upon people as much as having a role model and a mentor is really good. In the end, it's your own journey. You'll create your own successes. And as time moves on, everything changes. You know, what is considered success today may not be considered the same success in five years time because it'll be normalized. And you've got to find your own success in the end. However, uh, seeing other people's success and using them as role models, I think, is great motivation to help you take action, to keep moving forward. And I think that's, that's really key. Mm, absolutely. Um, and I, I've had many mentors um, throughout life, you know, uh, um, usually they're the people who are kind of close to you. I think my dad has been a huge inspiration, mm -hmm. you know, how he got himself out of this little village through hard work and dedication and education um that's amazing i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him yeah um and also other people who have achieved success like you look at the people who have really succeeded and it looks like they were overnight successes but it's never overnight no. never no I, I i say that to my daughter all the time she's an aspiring singer and you know obviously she's yeah, always going to come <laughs> thank you she, you know she'll always um look at what others are achieving but you know and, and then she understands it you know i've spoke we've had these discussions plenty in conversations plenty of times that you know it's going to take time it's going to take hard work it's it's about creativity rather than consumption it's about you've got to keep working at your craft 
no matter what field you're in, whether you're in the arts or whether you're in the sciences, engineering, whatever it is, whatever field you're in, you've got to keep practicing your art. You've got to keep working at it and change things up when you need to. And sooner or later, you get noticed, your work gets noticed, and all of a sudden somebody thinks you're an overnight success, but they just didn't know what you did to get there. So it's important. Exactly. And I think this is where social media sometimes doesn't send out the right message because you see all these successful people posting about mm. their, you know, their Lamborghinis and their, yeah. you know, going on first first class flights um, and meeting all these celebrities and, and all that, uh, you know, but they never actually post about the hard times that they've gone through or even you look at some influencers and you think, wow, their, their feed is beautiful yeah. and, uh, and all that. But you know, you, you, they don't see the behind the scenes of uh, actually having a day's photo shoot and how hard work it is. It, it, it's not as glamorous and easy as it looks. No, that one shot probably took about five or six hours to create. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're probably standing out in the, in the freezing cold, <laughs> trying to not trying not to get run over by the cars on the, on the road. Because um, I recently had a photo shoot. It really isn't easy. You know, it's no, not no, as glamorous no. as it's it's tiring work i know it's tiring work i've been there i know quite a few people in the field and as much as it looks glamorous on the end but it is it's long nights cold nights cold mornings whatever it is it, it, it's not ideal jen the one thing i i love asking my guests is um you know th- three key attributes that have really made you excel to help you succeed in all the different fields that you've been in what would you say are your three key attributes mental attributes I think resilience has to be one of them. Mm. Um, uh, resilience, I, I think you're born with a degree of it as part of your personality, but it's also something that you can develop as you yeah. learn more about yourself. Um, another thing is uh, what helped me a lot is um, sort of interpersonal skills. Mm-hmm. Is how, how I connect with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually most of that comes down to listening skills really yeah. is you know understanding that people won't care about what you have to say yeah. until you have heard what they have to say yeah. um, and that's helped me immensely in business networking and I've made so many new friends yeah. because I was willing willing to listen to them first um, and then and then people ask me what I do. And then that's, that's when I tell them. So I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't broadcast what I do. The third one, oh, um, third one, I think there's probably more, a lot more than three things that I can, I can mm. think of, but it's um, being, um, so there's this Japanese word called Kaizen, mm. which, which means um, continuous improvement. It's yeah. a, a lot of Japanese businesses have this, um, idea of kaizen mm. uh, for continuous improvement and I think that is something that every person should have you know what you what you should aim for is not perfection but to be better if you're better today than you were yesterday no matter how small the change then you've you know made then you've taken a step in the right direction I think that's fantastic the reason I say that is I love asking my guests these questions because every time they respond, there's always something that resonates. And I think to myself, yeah, that's what I do as well. So it's almost like an affirmation for me that if I'm adopting all these strategies that everybody I interview talk about, I'll be this huge success as well. So it's good to know that I adopt some of those as well. So, but like you said, 
done very well for yourself as well. I mean, you're helping other people succeed. And I think always, I always think, you know, the coach and the mentor, um, they're like always the people in the background, you know, kind of behind the scenes. Um, it's like the person behind the camera making the star look brilliant and, you know, amazing. Um, there's always behind every success, there is someone supporting them in the background. And you are that person for so many successful people. So well done. I'm just humbled by my guests. You know, I'm humbled by the, their success, you know, the dedication, the hard work that they've always put in. And I guess well, that's why I love interviewing you guys when you come on. It's just hearing your story. You know, I, I listen to other podcasts, watch YouTube videos of other people or read books about people. But, to, you know, just experience it firsthand from people who've achieved success and ask my own questions. I think, you know, it's probably why I started this podcast, really, and I'm continuing to enjoy it. So, you know, on that note, Chen, I really want to thank you for your time. It's been absolutely fantastic. And, and really what I wanted to say is thank you being for being so open about, you know, from your younger years, you know, because obviously that's painful to, uh, you know, think about and talk about as well. So thank you for being so open there. And uh, thank you once again for being on. You're, you're very welcome. Uh, and again, thank you very much for having me. And if, you know, if I can turn a negative experience into something positive to help other people out there, then that that's my therapy. Um, that is how I've come to terms with it. And that's how I can, I'm okay talking about these things. I've, uh, you know, forgiven all those people who used to bully me. Um, and, uh, and that's how I can move on. Um, I'm a different person now than I was. So um, well done for, for doing this. And, and, you know, thank you for your hard work putting these podcasts together. So keep doing it and keep inspiring other people out there. It's amazing. Thank you, Chen. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you. You're welcome. And that was my very good friend, Dr. Chen Zhu. So talking about resilience, interpersonal skills and connecting and self-improvement being the key things for her that she takes forward now in terms of success. But, you know, listening back and the one thing that we discussed um, off air, let's say, well, you know, while we weren't recording was, you know, her time being bullied at school. I mean, it was it's such a shame. And, you know, one thing that's really impressed me is the strength she's gained from coming out of that. And the one thing that she did say to me afterwards was that, um, you know, it's one of those things that you you grow out of and the one thing that she's done is forgiven those people and I think that's where she takes a lot of that strength by forgiving those that did harm to you gives you that sense of power and allowed her to go forward and give her confidence with what she does now so honestly it was a fantastic pleasure to have her on so it comes to the end of this episode and today I want to leave you with a clip from another one of my favourite movies. It's Jerry Maguire. It's the opening uh, credit scene where uh, Tom Cruise is uh, writing out his mission statement. And what's key about this is uh, in the mind of an entrepreneur, how important people play a role in your success. I hope you enjoy it. I began writing what they call a mission statement, not a memo, a mission statement. You know, a suggestion for the future of our company. A night like this doesn't come along very often. I seized it. What started out as one page became 25. Suddenly, I was my father's son again. I was remembering the simple pleasures of this job. How I ended up here out of law school. The way a stadium sounds when one of my players performs well on the field the way we are meant to protect them in health and in injury. With so many clients, we had forgotten what was important. I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And I'm not even a writer. 
I was remembering even the words of the original sports agent, my mentor, the late, great Dickie Fox, who said, The key to this business is personal relationships. Suddenly, it was all pretty clear. The answer was fewer clients, less money, more attention, caring for them, caring for ourselves and the games, too, just starting our lives, really. Hey, I'll be first to admit it. What I was writing was somewhat touchy-feely. I didn't care. I had lost the ability to bullshit. It was the me I'd always wanted to be. I took it in a bag to a copy mat in the middle of the night and printed up 110 copies. Even the cover looked like the catcher in the rye. I entitled it, The Things We Think and Do Not Say. The Future of Our Business. Thank you for listening to the Second Success Podcast. I'm Dr. Rakesh Rana, The Clear Coach.